It's your inside pass to everything Saints football. We'll take you to the places most fans never go. To practice, to the sideline, to the locker room. Following every twist, Hakeem dropped the ball! Turn, picks a flow! And touchdown! Hell is frozen over! Of the 2022 season. It is going to be covered by the Saints for a touchdown! Welcome to Inside Black and Gold. Welcome in to Inside Black and Gold, your thrice weekly podcast to get you up to speed on the New Orleans Saints and maybe down to speed on the New Orleans Saints because they are not a very high octane group, at least not on offense at this point in the season. And for this episode, typically on Wednesdays, we go through a good chunk of the film from the past week. And for the last two weeks, honestly, the last three weeks, excluding that fourth quarter against the Falcons. It has been rough to watch, especially on offense. So that's where we're going to focus the majority of our time. I'm going to spend most of the time talking about the first half of this game because I think that is where the Saints, if they want to start winning games, they have to execute better in the first half of games, right? We saw even with the Trevor Simeon offense, when you are in a hole and you are able to go against a defense that is kind of sitting back, you can have some success. You know, there, there's a built-in cushion there and, you know, you can, you can chuck the ball around, but you know, you're playing from behind and you're going to lose most of those games. Right. If you look at the splits from the first three starts from Trevor Simeon last year, which was weeks nine through 11 and the first three starts from Jameis this year, you're almost identical in terms of efficiency in the first half versus efficiency in the second half. I think in those three games last year, the Saints scored 13 points in the first half of those games. In the second half, they had somewhere around 60. This year, it's 10 points in the first half, something 40-something in the second half. The win this year came against the Falcons. The win that they should have had last year was against the Falcons, which was that crazy comeback where Cordero Patterson took it at the end. But so you're seeing a lot of the same things and you're losing games a lot of the same ways. So let's just go through a few things. And I'm going to start with the things that you're shooting yourself in the foot. One of those being that shot block penalty on the first drive of the game. Now, I started the, the podcast after the game with this, so I wanted to clean it up before we go on to anything else. And the thing that I found that I thought was really interesting wasn't just that there was a chop block called later in this drive and that it was merited. It was a good call. The interesting part is there was a chop block two plays beforehand that didn't get called. And if you're wondering why a close chop block call ends up getting called at the end of this drive, it's because you know the refs were on alert for it after missing it the first time, right? So what you're going to be looking at is Adam Prentice comes up and picks up a block, and then Mark comes around the side and goes low. Now, you can't do that, right? You cannot engage someone high and then hit them low. And that's what happens here on this block. Let's watch Adam Prentice. He comes up, he picks up the blitzer, and at the same time, Mark Ingram goes low and hits him below the waist. That's illegal. You cannot do that. It does not get called on this play. And you can see the defender Yelling, raising his hand. Where's the flag? Throw the flag. That's a chop block, right? So at that point, the refs are on alert saying, okay, you're right. That was a chop block. We didn't call it, but now that's in their heads. So two plays later, uh, when Mark Ingram is coming up and he's going to cut the defender, what are they looking for? They're looking for a chop block. So he goes low 
and then Cesar Ruiz comes in at the last second and engages him up high. It's a questionable call, right? You see stuff like this happen a lot. It's not in the traditional sense of a chop block, right? But by rule, that's illegal. Just look at it. There's not much contact there at all. But at the end of the day, that is illegal. So that is a penalty. And that is the Saints not executing twice in a span of four plays. You got away with it once. I wouldn't be surprised if you go back and you don't get away with it that first time, you probably get away with it this time because it's just not a call that refs are looking to make. They're looking for holding, you know, they're looking for hands to the face. This is a this is a split second where, you know, if you were blinking, you might not see it. But because they were on alert for it, because the team was not executing the way it needed to already, that's why that gets called. So I thought that was interesting. I do also think you absolve Mark on this second one because He's doing his job. He's cutting the guy. And I think there was miscommunication on the offensive line where you see Caesar turn around and, and kind of get his assignment. And then it just looked like he was out of sorts and he came in late. And so Mark Ingram cutting him is not against the rules. He can do that. But Caesar coming in and then hitting him up high, that's where it's a shot block. So that's what happened there. And it was ugly. And it's not what you want to see. It's just a bad way to start a game, right? Because you had third and two. Then you got a penalty. And you're third and seven. Then you get another penalty, and you're third and 22. And on that chop block, you picked up the first down. It did not count. Then you were out of field goal range, and you punted. So that's just, you know, when I when I say, like, Jameis Winston was bad in this game, but the Saints, as a team, lost this game, that's what I'm talking about. There, there are so many little things that they did not do well that go beyond Jameis Winston, but Jameis is a whole other can of worms. We're going to get into that. But, you know, that that play and that sequence really kind of, I think, encapsulates like all the things that went wrong. Here is just another quick example of some of these things that just did not work. And one of those things was when you set up to run, when you telegraphed that you were going to run and you just ran a heavy alignment out there, you didn't hold up. If you're not trying to catch someone off guard with a run and you're saying, no, we're going to line up man on man and we're going to block you and we're going to pick up yards anyway, that's great. That is an offense asserting itself. If you can't do that, then your only way to run the ball is to run misdirection. You know, run to the weak side after you set up to the strong side, right? Run, run toss plays, run, run toss crack plays. And those are set up by being successful in the power run game because that's what makes you respect the strong side of the formation. In this case, it didn't matter where you were running. The blocks didn't hold up. So watch two things. Watch Dewan Johnson over here and then watch Calvin Throckmorton over here. Now you got to give him a pass to some extent because he is the backup. He was filling in for Andres Pete. But this is the first down play on this first drive of the second half after you got down into the red zone, right? So you drove the field. You were only down, I want to say 10 to nothing at this point, And you have a chance to get on the board one way or another, right? And you want to get in the end zone. So you want to run on first down and pick up some positive yardage so that you can open up the offense on second and third down. But instead, you end up with losses on both sides to the point that this run that's set up, right? You have a lane here. This is a lane. This is a cutback lane. You are unable to take advantage of either of those things because you lose right here and you lose right here. So Alvin Kamara now has nothing. He has nothing other than I cannot fumble this ball again. (laughs) So I'm going to hold on to it for dear life. And 
you know, it's a, it's a tackle for loss. You're looking at second and 11. And this is the type of thing that just happened all day. And, and I think the thing that stood out to me that I didn't see in real time that was definitely true on the rewatch, the offensive line held up reasonably well in pass pro. They got beat by blitz schemes. They got beat, you know, by miscommunications, right? They beat themselves with penalties. But I think their man-to-man blocking assignments, they held up reasonably well. The offensive line did. But where they did not hold up was in the run game whatsoever. And this is the fumble. This is the play where you expect Alvin Kamara to just at least have a chance, right? You have eight blockers. Your entire team is out here blocking. The only player who is not in this frame right now is Traquan Smith, who is a blocking wide receiver. He is on the field. So this is your formation, right? (laughs) You have tight ends, you have a running back, and you have a wide receiver who likes to block. You should be able to at least get to the line of scrimmage before you get touched, huh? You don't have a fullback, but you have a lot of blockers. You lose at virtually every spot here. Alvin tries to cut it back because you've got beaten to the edge. He gets taken down. So you went from having eight blockers in front of you to being surrounded by four Panthers players before you even get to the line of scrimmage. You are three yards behind the line of scrimmage. And so how, why are they able to strip the ball? Well, when, you, when your primary defender gets there and he knows that there's three others behind him that can clean it up, he's way more likely to just hold you up and try to strip the ball out. And that's what happens here, right? And it's a product of just no blocking whatsoever. There was a hold on this play too. That's the sad thing. And, uh, and that's a touchdown. And that, that play, you know, when you go back to it, that's what lost you this game, right? If, if you play this game similarly to how you played the Bucks game and you're just kind of grinding it out three to three, whatever, through the first three quarters of that game, Saints probably win it, right? This is not the Bucks defense. This is not a defense that's going to hold up in the secondary and and get after you the way the Bucs did. And this is not an offense that's going to threaten you. So if you are able to just keep things close and not give up points on defense, then you can win that game. And it's the same, it's the same principle against the Bucs, right? If they don't have that pick six, I think you have a chance to win that game. And so as we continue to go through this and I critique a lot of what Jameis was doing in this game, keep that in mind. Like this is not a team that is light years away from winning football games. There are a few plays from being three and Oh, they're also a few plays from being zero and three, right? There are a long way from being an impressive offensive group. They are not that far off from winning football games because the defense is good enough that you just have to be competent on offense to win games and you have to not give up points. So like, that's why, you know, you're going to London, you're one and two. I'm not, uh, you know, there's concern, but you just have to win that game and get back on track, right? This is not the first time in the last several years that you started one and two, right? You started one and two in 2020 and the vibes, you know, people don't want to admit it, but the vibes were similar, right? The criticism at that point was Drew Brees can't throw the ball. His arm is toast. And, you know, he's holding the offense back, right? I had, there, were cl- there were calls to start Jameis Winston during that season, okay? So, like, we don't need to pretend that didn't happen. <laughs> it did. And I would say that that was a much bleaker scenario because you did think at that point that Drew Brees didn't have it left in his arm. You were going to Detroit. And if you remember that Detroit game, 
you were down several players. You didn't have either starting cornerback. You had a COVID scare the night before, and you started that game with the Lions going down the field and scoring, and then Drew Brees throwing an interception and then and being in a 14-point hole in the first quarter. They came back and won that game, right? <laughs> so that season was, I would argue, way closer to spiraling than this season is right now, and you just need to make the adjustments and play better football. Now, can you do that? That is the question. But the, 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 the concern shouldn't be whether they can. It should be whether they will. And that's why, you know, I'm more, I'm more concerned about the coaching staff than I am, you know, the quarterback. I'm going to go through one more kind of set of film here, and then I'm going to go to a break and get into the second half, which is going to be primarily Jameis. But one thing that has stood out to me over the course of the first few weeks has been you're not fooling anybody. You're not fooling anybody. When you're trying to run these kind of quick misdirections, these quick throws behind the line of scrimmage for, for catching run yards, for yak yards, you know, screen passes. I don't know if it's just great film preparation, if, you know, you're tipping your pitches in some way. But, I mean, there have been a lot of plays where it seemed like the defense knew exactly what was coming. And that's what it looks like here, right? So one of the ways you beat a blitz-heavy team is you, you get the ball out hot. You adjust and you set hot routes or you get you you run plays where you get the ball out of the quarterback's hands quickly in a three-step drop and you let the receivers run behind the players that are coming upfield with reckless abandon, right? That's what you tried to do here. It was one of the few times all, all game where you look at it and be like, yes, this was the right play call against the Blitz. Um, but watch what happened. Jeremy Chin, and I, I'm not sure who this pass rusher is, but they don't even rush because they know what's happening. They know that Ryan Ramchek can't get out that far without being ineligible downfield, right? If he goes and tries to block that defender, yeah, you're on the edge. You might get, you might not get called, but you're probably getting called for ineligible downfield. He can't get out to Jeremy Chin, who came from depth, to to impact him, right? I don't know why you're keeping the running back in to block. If there, if I had any criticism, it would be I'd like to see Mark just get out on a route so he can chip, um, and just just be in the be in a place where he can affect the play because you're when you're running a three-step drop, you don't really need a back to stay in to pick up the blitz because it's not going to get there in time anyway. Um, so that that would be my main critique here. But like this is a defense that knew exactly what was coming. And so this is the first play where a ball gets batted at Jameis's face. And that's not what you want to see at all. They are both aware of the play that's coming, or at least aware of the concept that you're trying to hit them with. And, and that's not ideal. And if this was the only time it happened, you'd be like, okay, fine. You know, they, they got you. They, they took their, they studied film. They took good, good notes and, uh, and they came out and did it. But later in the game, this is on a screen pass to Alvin Kamara. I want to say it's in the second quarter, but watch Brian Burns here. He's not rushing the quarterback. He knows this is screen. He stops. He says, okay, fine. I'm just going to get in your way. There's no throw here. There's no screen to be run. Because he's standing right where you need to be. And so Jameis just dumps it into the dirt. You actually got the benefit of a uh, unnecessary roughness call here because Yitor, I want to say that's Yitor Grossmatos, throws Jameis to the ground like an idiot. And you get that 15-yard penalty. The problem is the very next play was the Alvin Kamara fumble. <laughs> and so, like, it's not a good sign when you can't run a screen and, and confuse people. And that's what's been happening. So I don't know if you need to run more tendency breakers if you need to adjust some of your some of your personnel or some of your alignments to not tip pitches 
But it's very clear, and this has been happening, right? This is not the first time this season we've seen a team look like they're in the huddle when they're when they're defending a play. And so you you got to get that fixed. You got to figure out what's happening. You got to figure out what's giving away your your play call, because uh, because that's not good. That's gonna yeah you know that's gonna that's gonna hurt you in games. You know you're gonna lose games because of that. Um, if you can't be subtle, if if you can't get a defense on its back on, on seals a little bit. Um, and uh, and then that's just not what you want to see. But okay, that's the end of that segment. We're gonna come back and uh, hit a lot more on what we saw from Jameis Winston. Again, you're listening to Inside Black and Gold. I'm Jeff Nowak, WWL Digital Sports Producer. We're going through film from the Week Three matchup with the Saints and the Panthers. Saints lost 22 to 14. It looked a lot worse than the score might sound. Stick around and try not to uh, try not to overreact to what we're about to talk about with Jameis Winston. All right, back here on Inside Black and Gold. I'm Jeff Nowak. We're diving into the film from the week three Saints loss to the Carolina Panthers. Was not pretty, and uh, we're going to keep going through it, and we're going to get more into some of the offensive struggles as we saw them. And I think one of the things that you're struggling with as a Saints offense is, you know, some of the play design and some of the play concepts that you're running just just don't seem to work. You know, they, they don't seem to fit the circumstance that you're running them in they don't seem to fit the 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 opponent you're facing you know a blitz heavy team where you're gonna have to get the ball out and as a team that's already shown that they're gonna struggle to pick up blitzes and they're gonna struggle to adapt in those situations it's just gonna keep coming you're not gonna you're not gonna find a team that stops blitzing you if you show that you cannot make it hurt and so far the saints have not done that so you're gonna continue to see teams get aggressive and you know, you, you see plays like this. So you see the pressure, you're coming through, Jameis gets it out, should have been picked, if we're being honest. And, you know, this, I don't, I don't put this on Jameis because who you throw the ball to here? The, there's, no, there's no back leaking out. The tight end is staying in. So you're max protecting. You have Mike Thomas, Chris Olave. They are both running in the exact same area of the field. And, you know, when I saw this in week one, I came on here and I did a film study session then and I was like, okay, this must be a mistake. You wouldn't design a play to have your two wide receivers running in the exact same area of the field. But, you know, I've seen it so many times now that, you know, if it's a mistake, you were making the same mistake over and over and over again. And, you know, if that's the case, then something's wildly wrong, but it's way more likely that this is just like a clear out play. This is just kind of a double clear out where you're trying to drag two defenders and create space here. And, while great, sure, it does do that to an extent, you're creating space for Jawan Johnson. You're creating space for a guy who is not a premier pass catcher in your offense. He's he's solid. He's a good tight end. But it's not like, you know, he's a guy you trust in every one-on-one matchup or a guy that, you know, you have one option to throw the ball here. You have a lot of weapons on offense and you are making, you are designing a play. So effectively the only person you can throw to is Jawan Johnson. And, you know, there's a chance that, okay, maybe this is just a slow developing play. And once you get further downfield, Chris Olave is going to break to the post and maybe there's a, there's a big play to be had and it's a shot play, but we've seen how the same, how the Panthers are, are bringing pressure at this point of the game. And you are calling a play that takes this long to develop and effectively gives you one outlet to throw the ball. So if any pressure gets through, that's your only choice. 
And that's what, and that's the choice Jameis makes. And, you know, he does the right thing. He gets the ball out hot. I don't know if it's a situation where you need to just set a hot route and get your back out and get in the ball there. Cause if you, if you find a way to just get marking it or leak out and just toss in the ball, there's a whole lot of space to run, but you have one throw to make because of the play design. Jameis tries to make it. It almost gets intercepted. And if it, if, and if that's an interception and he keeps his feet, that's a touchdown. That's another pick six. So, you know, uh, that's why when I say I'm looking at Pete Carmichael, like that is a bad play call. It's a bad play design. And this is a third down. I don't know if I said that already. It's a third down play where you are running a very slow developing play with one pass option against a team that likes to blitz and it has been blitzing you all day. It, it, it's just not good. Let's go on to the next play. This is, again, we're going back to the, the end of that first drive of the second half was brutal. It was brutal because you moved the ball down the field so well. I think it was a 14-play drive. Took about the half of the third quarter, the first half of the third quarter. And you end up with first and first and 10 at about the 18-yard line, right? So this is a second down play that, you know, you come out with a heavy formation. And you're like, okay, let's let's figure it out. So you get a blitz. And what do you do? You try to throw a wheel route to Alvin Kamara. Now, again, that's not a terrible decision to try to get the ball to Alvin Kamara. But you have to understand, you are seeing a zero blitz look. (laughs) There is no coverage there. Everyone is showing that they're going to come. And if they do, you have to be prepared to get the ball out hot. And in this instance, you actually do have a quick hitter because you have Chris Olave running this this little hitch. And so you see there are more rushers coming than you can block. The play that you called is not going to develop in time. You are not going to be able to time this throughout with Alvin Kamara with that much time. You're not going to be able to loft the ball where you need to go. And if you do and you make a perfect throw, fine. At this point, you need to get the ball out hot and you need to get it out to the receiver who is standing alone in the middle of the field because you don't have time to wait for Alvin Kamara to get open. You know, if you had your protection set and you were able to pick up this blitz, that's one thing you could not. So you have to get the ball out and you can't throw out to Alvin Kamara this early. If this is a wide receiver, maybe a running back, even a running back that's as good as a receiver as Alvin Kamara is not making that catch. You got to be able to adjust in play better than that. It's just, it's just frustrating to see because that play sets up the next play, which is third and long, right? I don't think Chris Olave is getting a first down here, but he's picking up yards and making it third and three, third and four. And heck, maybe he does break a tackle and gets the first down or a touchdown. Either way, when you are dealing with a blitz, and we saw Tom Brady do this in week two, and he is probably the best to ever do it. So, you know, aspiring to that is aspiring to a lot. But when you are facing a blitz, you have to understand where it's coming from and you have to be able to throw behind it. That's what Tom Brady has done a majority of his career. And that's why he's been so successful. You can't blitz him because he will identify it and he will throw to whatever route is uncovered because you are sending that pressure. And in this case, it was Chris Olave. And instead of doing that, you stuck with the original play design, the original read. And which was a, you know, not an impossible pass to Alvin Kamara, but a really difficult one. And that's, you know, if you can't adjust to that, you're going to have a long day. You know, you're not going to be able to execute. Third down. The, uh, the very next play, you are getting the exact same, well, not the exact same look, but another zero look. You can see the defense is flat. There is no one over the top. No, there is no one showing that they're going to sink here. 
This is a this is a zero blitz look, and a zero blitz is what you get. Again, this is a slow developing play, right? You don't have a hot route here. By the time the pressure comes through, no one's even looking for the ball. Again, you have called a play that does not make sense for the defense you're facing, for the game you found yourself in, and for a quarterback who has shown that he is not elite at making checks at the line, right? Right? It, that hasn't been able to, sh- to prove that he can identify blitzes and make it hurt behind them. And so you have, to, you have to make up for that with the play design that you are sending in. And in this case, on third and long, you've, you've done it again. You've done it again. And the only option, you know, I've heard people say, well, Winston can't take a sack there. Well, what's, what are his alternatives? Right. What, what do you, what should he do in that situation? And keep in mind, it's too late once the play starts <laughs> to check to anything. So once you get to the point where there is a free rusher in your face, you have, you know, a few options, right? One is to make sure you don't fumble and take the sack knowing you're in field goal range, regardless of whether you come down, you know, regardless of whether you get sacked or not, you're in field goal range, right? You need to put points on the board. And so that's the smart play because your other options are throw the ball away, which if you do that from there, it's a grounding penalty and you're, you know, you might be even further back because it's from the spot of the grounding. So from there, if he throws it at that point, he's standing at about the 28. I'm sorry. Yeah. He's standing at about the 28. So 10 yards from that, you're about the 38 yard line. So you're looking at a 53 yard field goal. So throwing it away here is actually going to make the field goal attempt longer than taking the sack. Right. Your other options are, you know, maybe try to run for it. Maybe try to extend the play. Sure. That's not happening here. Jameis is not that guy. You could try to throw it. You know, you could try to throw to a receiver early. But as you can see, if you're watching this, and I I will tell you, if you're listening to this, no one is even looking for the ball. That is the slow developing play that you have called on third down. So by the time anyone looks back for the ball, Jameis is on his back. And, you know, if you if you're gonna sit there and say you would prefer that he throws a risky ball <laughs> that probably gets picked off and costs the Saints an opportunity to get points on this drive, keep in mind they still are they still have a bagel on the scoreboard. Three points here would have been massive. You know, then I say, uh, you're a hypocrite because all I've heard about is how I want Jameis to make better decisions and I don't want him to not throw 30 interceptions this season. He needs to make smarter decisions and live to play another down. That's what he did here. So, you know, again. You can argue that he needs to make be better at making checks when he sees a heavy blitz coming, and that's fair. I think that is a that is a very fair critique. But I think the better critique is of the play calling in this situation, in this scenario, on back to back. You know, if you want to say the second down screw up is on Jameis, fine, because I think you need to adjust to, to that as a quarterback. The third down screw up, I, I put on Pete Carmichael because that's not this is not a play that makes sense against the team that you know is going to send pressure. So that's that. But you know, it's it doesn't get doesn't get better in the second half. <laughs> I wish I could tell you that things just got prettier. They don't. They get uglier. So here are a few more plays where I'm just gonna kind of go through and say, you know, okay, is this is this a bad read? Is this a bad decision? You know, is this a bad play call? So here is the here is that third down play in the first half after you finally got a drive going late in the half, you hit that bomb to Chris Olave and you have first and goal in the red zone. Not, maybe not first and goal. You have first down in the red zone. 
And so you're unable to make anything happen on second and third. Actually, no. First down, you picked up seven yards to Chris Olave on a little quick out. It's a good start, right? Second down, they send pressure, and Jameis tries to get the ball to Alvin Kamara as a check down in the middle of the field. Alvin drops it. The ball was tipped at the line, but it just fluttered into his hands, and he dropped it. Okay? So you are now on third and three. And a lot of people have criticized this play because Alvin is standing alone in the middle of the field. And that's fair. But what I need you to understand is Jarvis Landry is also open. So if you're running a play and your primary read is open, you're going to throw it. The guy you're throwing the ball to has the entire end zone to work with here. It's open. You just got to make the throw. He misses. And if you want to say, you know, he's just not on because of his back, whatever, that throw is open. So to say he should bypass the throw, he's the, the, the initial read, the primary read on this route, uh, on this, on this play design to throw here, you know, that's tough because you know, the, that's not the read you're starting with. Okay. Now the argument I would make is this play is supposed to be a pick, but the Panthers are in zone. So they hand it off. And I'll show you what I mean here. So what you got to look at is Mike Thomas and Jarvis Landry. Mike's coming through here and Jarvis is going to cut underneath him. Now the idea is the defender chasing Mike Thomas kind of runs into the defender chasing Jarvis and it creates separation where you can make a much easier throw than you had to make here. But that doesn't work. The Panthers do a really good job of handing it off. So the defender who was on Mike Thomas is now covering Jarvis and vice versa. So that's why if, if you're making an argument that he shouldn't have gone there, that would be my argument, that the design of your play was to create a pick, and that pick never happened. So your play didn't work. And while he might be open, you, you know that is a low percentage throw and you're on third down. And so I think that you do come off of it there because... You are not, you know, this play is supposed to create wide open separation if it works, not a low percentage throw to the corner of the end zone on a play where you just really need to just get a first down. That's where you can be critical. But at the same time, I don't blame Jameis for not having supreme confidence in Alvin Kamara over the middle of the field after he just dropped a ball. So that's tough. I'm not going to say that's a bad read. It's a bad throw. And again, if, if Alvin catches the, play, the ball on the play before that, and you have, and that's first and 10, first and goal, that's, a, that's, that's where you definitely would throw the ball, right? If you run in that play, that's where the ball goes. You're not checking down. You're only checking down because it's third down. And so that, that's just an example of, you know, a lot of things went wrong in this game. And Alvin Kamara not being able to catch a little wobbling pass is one of them. Moving on. This is the play that 100% Jameis got criticized for in real time, and he really needs to look at this tape and kind of learn from it um, because it it was not it was not good. It was not good. I've watched this so many times that I can literally draw it from memory. You have Mike Thomas over here. He's going to run a, run a little comeback. You have Alvin kind of running an option route, which you could call a whip, whatever. He's coming over here, and he's coming back this way. You have Jarvis Landry coming up on this little dig where he works in. And then you have Al, uh, Adam Troutman running this little kind of banana over route over the middle of the field. And he's going to be wide open. And so the reason this play 
is so glaring of a mistake is because the pressure in the middle of the field is obvious, right? This is an A-gap blitz. You have to be able to see that as a quarterback. Now, the other thing to keep in mind is you have a single high safety, and he's actually going to float to the middle of the field at the snap of the ball. So when that happens, they'll call it MOFO, which is middle of the field open, or MOFC. I don't know if they won't call it MOFC, but that's middle of the field closed. And the difference is if you have one safety in the middle of the field, it's middle of the field closed, and you have to attack the edges, the boundaries. If you have two safeties and they're kind of splitting the the deep part of the field, then that's middle of the field open, and you can attack it with seam routes, you can attack it with post routes, that sort of thing. So in this case, that dig is just bringing Jarvis Landry to the defender. So you shouldn't be waiting on that at all. You should be able to see the defense and know immediately that that is not the route that's going to be open. I think the pre-snap read he makes is to Alvin Kamara, and that gets taken away because Alvin Kamara is bracketed. And instead of coming off of that and working across his progressions, he just goes to Jarvis Landry on the dig and it doesn't work. Let's see how let's see how close my lines are to the reality of this play. I think they're pretty close. Yeah, look at that. Um, <laughs> and so you can see, this is where Jameis tries to go with the ball. And at this point in the play, it actually is the right throw. The issue is he needed to make the correct throw way before this, which would have been to Adam Troutman. And so the reason I say that is you come over here and you can see immediately, I think Jameis is looking at Alvin. Alvin's bracketed, right? He, at that point, you should have already been able to diagnose that the dig is not going to work. So that's your second read and you're coming off of it. You're working to the middle of the field and this is where you need to get the ball out. The safety hasn't reacted yet, but he will because the safety knows that's where the ball should go. The safety sees that this is a wide open throw. So he breaks on it. And the only reason that Jarvis has a, that, that the throw to Jarvis has a chance is because you held the ball too long. And it's like, it's a rare instance where you actually could hold the ball because there was no pressure, but it's just a bad, it's just a bad read. Let's see this one more. Okay. So this is the deep ball to Chris Olave. And, you know, it's really difficult to argue that this was a bad play, right? This is that first deep shot that got you into field goal range. But I think it's a good example of the Jameis Winston experience in a nutshell, right? And as you can see on this non-zoomed in version, you know, he goes up and makes the play. It's a great catch, a great moment. You know, it feels like you have the momentum. And if, if you make that kick before halftime, then you do have the momentum and you're in, you're in a lot better shape. But the reason this is kind of a YOLO Jameis kind of experience is because you know that in every instance, this ball is going here. You know, he's not he's not going to look at this coverage. I'm pointing to Chris Olave. I don't think you can see that here. But, you know, you're not going to look at this coverage and ever go to Jarvis Landry despite him breaking wide open on that little out. And you can see he's wide open there. But that ball is going to Chris Olave 10 times out of 10. And he is open. And I almost think that's the fact that he's open all the time makes it difficult because it's always going to be a lower percentage throw when you go down the field, but he is open. I mean, he's wide open. So, so the throw makes sense, but it's just, you know, you, we've spent so many years watching Drew Brees where, you know, I don't think he can throw the ball that far. And so if he's not standing alone, you know, if there is coverage within, you know, the, the margin of error there that you see, 
that's going to Jarvis. And, you know, you might end up in the same spot if you throw to Jarvis. It, you'll, it'll happen in a different way. It'll be, you know, a 20-yard throw and, uh, you know, 30 yards of yak as opposed to a 40-yard throw and three yards of yak. But, you know, the result will probably be about the same. Um, and, it, you know, and, and I'm not going to say that's a bad read. I'm not going to say that's a bad decision. And it's not a bad throw. It's a good throw. Um, but it's just funny. It's just kind of that's, that's, that's the life you live when you have a guy who wants to go deep. And that's what you have. So you kind of just have to figure it out. We are now past the criticizing Jameis part of the program, which I like because I am so tired of, of criticizing Jameis. I think there's a lot there to to fix. There's a lot there to criticize. There is a lot there to you know point to and say you need to be better. But you did do some good things as well, right? Chris Olave is a star in the making, right? Especially if this offense continues to operate how it's been. If you're going to push the ball down the field, Chris Olave is the guy I want there. For that reason alone, it's like I'm not going to ever lean toward Andy Dalton if you are building this offense around Chris Olave because you need a guy who's going to push the ball down the field to him. Um, I am interested to see what the health discussion looks like this week for Jameis Winston because, man, it's it's painful to watch. And if I said this last week, and I'm going to keep saying it, if the health is a factor and it is preventing him from playing to his peak level which i how it has to be i mean it, it, it is like you you can't pretend that he is not at least in some way limited um then i think you have to at least consider sitting him down but all right this has been inside black and gold i'm jeff nowak wwl digital sports producer we've been going through a lot of the film i am going to cut this segment off here and come back and answer a few qu- reader questions that have been flowing in throughout the course of this podcast stick around Back here at Inside Black and Gold, we're going to do a quick mailbag because there's a lot of questions that have been flowing in throughout the course of this kind of film breakdown. Again, I'm Jeff Nowak, WWL Digital Sports Producer, and we're going to get to it. This one from Praise God, 126 passing plays, 61 rushing plays. It's a huge problem and easily our number one issue that's using as a gunslinger. Sean Payton used him as a game manager. That's Jameis you're talking about. Now, sure, I mean... In a vacuum, it probably does feel that way. But remember, this is a team that has had to come from behind in all three games. And you're gonna, you have to throw to make comebacks. You can't run the ball if you're down by 10 points in the fourth quarter. And so I think if you kind of went and broke those, those numbers down and said, okay, how do they stack up in quarters one through three versus the fourth quarter? I think they would be a lot closer together. Um, but no, you have to run the ball better. You have to block better. The tight ends were atrocious in the blocking game in week three. And they have been solid in the first couple of weeks. Juwan Johnson, I think, had a particularly rough game in, as a blocker. And you need to, you know, he has improved in that area and he needs to continue to improve. You know, if you can't run the ball, it makes life a lot more difficult on you, especially because the play action game for Jameis Winston is so effective. But you have to, they have to be respecting the run for it to work. So, yeah, I mean, I think you do need to run the ball much better than they have. Kendall Jones 
Jameis is pressing as if he needs to make the grand play every play. So the quarterback and offensive coordinator isn't on the same page. Yeah, I, it's it's tough. I mean, I don't I don't know. You know, we'll hear from Pete Carmichael this week, and I am curious what he has to say about. Obviously, I'm not in London, so I'll have to I'll have to leave it to Steve and uh, the others to ask these questions. But um, I'm curious what he has to say about some of the long developing plays that have been called and some of the failures to adapt to um, take advantage of zero pressure zero blitzes because you know if really good quarterbacks you can't do that against because they they make it hurt right there's a reason you don't want to send a zero blitz and it's because the quarterback has all of his options available and if he gets the ball out you're effed the only way it works is if the blitz gets home if the quarterback can get the ball out fast enough then you know you get it to the athletes, you get it to the wide receivers, you get it to the running back. There's not a lot of people to make a tackle, but you got to get it out. So like, I I don't know. I I just you have to be able to at least see it's coming and adjust a route for a quick hitter. And if it doesn't come, then fine. But there's no excuse for not checking your routes, and and that's what's happened to this point. And and you got to be better than that. Kendall, again, I don't think Pete is good enough to design great plays like Sean, and he's been under Sean for 15 years. I don't know how much designing there is going on at this point. I think the offense is the offense. Um, I, the, but, yeah, I mean, Sean was the mastermind architect of the offense, and but Pete knows how to run it. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't know how much of it is that. But 985 Live, why can't our defense do this on those pick plays? Shake my head. No, I, the Panthers, you know, if you go back and that that – that play that we went to where um, that was the third and goal third and that was the third. And I think three in the first half where Jameis went to Jarvis and the Panthers passed off the coverage. And I agree. It was really well done. The Panthers defense played very well in this game. And I, you know, it's annoying to keep saying that, but they did. The Bucks defense played very well in week two. The Falcons defense was questionable on the back end in week one. They had really good blitz schemes. And I think that's what kept them in front. But, you know, it came to it came back to haunt them later in the game when they didn't get that pressure and Jameis was able to carve them up in that fourth quarter. But the last two defenses you played have been very good. And so that's where you kind of have to, you know, you don't know yet how good some of these teams are relative to each other. And like the Bucks, you know, are good. The Panthers, I don't think, are a very good team, but they do have a good defense. So that could be a factor, right? You know, they might go and face the Vikings and look a lot different because they're not, the Vikings aren't able to do the same things as a pass rush as a defense that the Panthers did. But that was a good example of the Panthers just knowing what you're doing. Again, we talked about this with some of the screenplays, some of the swing passes. It seems like they knew they were in the Saints huddle when they called the play. Because they saw that pick, they knew what it was, and they passed it off. They didn't get run over. And it's just another example of that. 985 Live, why can't we do like the Rams were doing with Jared Goff lineup and get the call at the line? Yeah, I mean, it, that's an option. You got to remember the the headset turns off with, I want to say, 15 seconds left. So in order to do that, you would have to be running hurry-up offense and then still you know, that's, that's a difficult thing. And if your your offense just isn't built to do that, if that's not your, your kind of um, workflow, then that's going to be tough to do. And one of the th- things that really 
hurt the Rams when teams figured out that's what they were doing is they would wait until because the other teams know when the headsets turn off. Like, you know, it's a standard rule. So what they would do is they would wait. They would show something. They would wait until the headset turns off and then they would adjust. So you would end up in the wrong coverages. So it still ended up being the quarterback has to be able to identify it and make those adjustments. And, you know, you got, that's, you got to be better at it. Jerry Pore, this week of practice in London will get the Saints back to the basics. Yeah, I think Deuce McAllister said this um, after the game. It's like, yeah, this is basically the one-week training camp for this team to kind of get its feet back under it. And then you better use it. You need it. So this could end up being kind of a positive thing if, if they spin it the right way. Running back 29 Oilers come into a game looking like an astronaut. 20 different pads, looking crazy, limping when he jogs, broken back, WTF. You know, the, the, the thing is, I haven't seen him limping. You know, like that's, that's part of the reason it's, it's a difficult thing. If he, if he did look physically limited, you know, if, if he was wincing every time he threw the ball deep, if he got hit and then took a while to get up because he took a shot right in the back, that would be one thing. I haven't really seen that from Jameis. And that's what makes it, I think, it, it reminds me of Eli Manning at the end of Eli Manning's career, which... And I know I make a lot of Giants references, but they're they're usually applicable. And he's from here, so you know, take it. Um, Eli Manning never missed games for injury. He didn't. He just didn't. Like he was healthy his whole career, and because of that, later in his career when he was on the decline, it was it was difficult to identify it because usually your body lets you down before your arm does. For Eli, it was like he just there was there's a level level you need to be at, and for the majority of his career, he was above it. It's the level of talent you need, of, of success you need to be a starting quarterback in the NFL. For the majority of his career, he was above it. For the last few years of his career, he was below it. And his team around him was not good enough to pick up the slack. I think, you know, obviously I'm not saying Jameis is at that point in his career, but I think there's a point where the injury is affecting you, where there's that, that baseline that you need to be above, you are hovering around it. And I don't know exactly where you are or relative to it, but I don't think the Jameis we're seeing right now is the is the perfect world Jameis that we wanted to see. Um, that doesn't mean you can't win games with him. Taysom was never the perfect world Taysom that we wanted him to be. He won a lot of his starts, right? So you don't have to be perfect. But if, you know, the Giants weren't perfect. They've made the playoffs, though, with, with Eli Manning struggling in, I want to say 2017, 2016, right? So like, you don't have to be perfect as a quarterback to win games, but you have to play the right way. And your teammates around, you have to play the right way. And that's, if the Saints can get back on track in this season, that's going to be how they do it. Bruno, Panthers beat the crap out of the Saints. See, I don't, I disagree with that. I really do. I think if you stop the Panthers after you go in and score and Mark Ingram spikes the ball, if the, if the defense comes out and, and clamps, and and forces a three and out or forces a punt and and you give the ball back to the offense which is which is rolling at that point they're feeling good the the Panthers are kind of reeling they've been in control all game and all of a sudden one touchdown and they're behind i think the saints win that game you never got to that point because the defense you know and and PJ Williams which is unfortunate that PJ was put in that situation to miss that tackle but he did Marcus may miss the game and so you needed him to come up and make a tackle and he just didn't um, and then, you know, I think, you know, Tyron Matthew missed the tackle too. 
Um, and you know, it is what it is, but I think that's where you lost that game. And if you want to look at, if you have to look at one play in the fourth quarter and say, if this went differently, this result might've been different Then you didn't get, you didn't get the crap beaten out of you. You just lost hard boy hitter. I'm finally realizing Sean really made a difference on that sideline. You know, I'm not happy the saints are, are not doing well right now, but I do appreciate that people are starting to appreciate what Sean Payton did for this team and how consistent he had this team operating at for such a long time. Right. And that's how you keep a job for 16 years. You know, you don't, if if you have this really long stretch of bad seasons, you're, you're, you're going to have a hard time. And it's rare to see a guy go through a lull the way that he did and the way that this team did you know, with those seven and nine years and come back and all of a sudden 13 and three, 13 and three, 11 and five, you know, um, but that's what he did, you know, and we talked about this earlier, the last two times the saints started a season one and two, they didn't lose again for a while. I think in 2017, you started one and two and by week 10, you were eight and two in 2020, you started one and two and by week 13, you were 10 and two. I think that math makes sense. Yeah, because it's a bye week wait, very baked in there. And so, like, that's not unreasonable, right? We've seen it happen. The question is, can this current staff, can this current roster, can the Dennis Allen, Jameis Winston experience duplicate that type of turnaround that we've seen this team make? Because there are guys in that locker room who, who've, who've been there for it. You know, they were part of it. They understand what it takes to bounce back from a rough start. And let's be real. The Saints haven't started well in, in years, right? It's been a long time since this. I can't remember the last time the Saints were, were even 2-0, and let alone 3-0. and So like 2-1 and was probably the upper... 2-1 uh, and was like the, the pie-in-the-sky ambition I had coming into this season. And I, and I felt like that would have been a good thing for them. And uh, so you're not that far below that, right? In terms of just the record. It's not the end of the world. You just gotta you just gotta win some games, right? If you if you can go to London, which you're in London, if you can stay in London and beat the Vikings and come back at two and two with a very, very winnable game against the Seahawks at home, you feel a way better about, about the situation you're in. Not unlike in 2020 when you when you went to Detroit and you won that game in week four, despite going down 14 to nothing and having no cornerbacks and you know, a COVID scare the night before, you know, you won that game, you came back home, you beat the chargers in overtime. And then all of a sudden you were on a roll and you were going and you were going and everything felt right again. You got to be able to do that. You got to be able to beat the Vikings. If you come back, you know, but, but you know, on the flip side, if you can't beat the Vikings and you come back at one and three and you have to beat the Seahawks just to get one game below 500. That's bleak. Um, so that's kind of where you're at right now. So a couple more questions then we'll get out of here. Ramsey wars. I would feel better if Jameis would just hit the short to intermediate passes that are open in the field instead of looking for the deep play every time. Now, thing to understand is it's not like you're calling four routes and you're just throwing to whoever's open, right? It's called a progression. You know, I'm sure a lot of people who are listening understand what that term means. But if you don't, you know, it's you, you have a progression of, of, of the routes you're going through, right? In some instances, it's short to long. In some instances, it's long to short. And I think in this case, when you're designing plays for Jameis, you're going long to short. And so if Jarvis Landry in the back of the end zone 
you know, in, on, a, on, a, on a corner route is your primary read and he's open, you are throwing him the ball. Now, to, to some extent, I think that there has to be a better, bigger calculation of what does open mean in that instance? Because open shouldn't just mean I can make that throw. Open should mean I, I will make that throw. Um, because, you know, what's the percentage that you'll make that throw? 40%, 50%, 60%? Um, if it's low enough that the alternative is, okay, not worth the risk. I'm going to turn over here and check down to Alvin Kamara for a first down, right? Okay, I, that throw is not developed yet. It'll probably come open, but I don't have time. Okay, I'm going to throw it. I'm going to check down to Chris Olave coming across the middle because I have pressure in my face and I know he's wide open right in front of me. That's what we haven't seen. And that's what I think is really difficult to train into somebody because you're you're saying, okay, that's open. I can make that throw. I have confidence in myself to make that throw. I'm going to make that throw. Um, and I don't... <sighs> I do think that you have to you have to adjust that kind of that kind of meter to to account for the situation that you are in. Down in distance, time on the clock, score. And but it feels like too much of the time it's just okay, he's open, I'm going for it. Uh and that's why you end up going deep to Chris Olave eight times in three weeks. Yeah, Jay Black. If Sean was here, I would say to get fixed, or we'll find the right people to get it fixed. And I assume the second half of that is with Dennis Allen, you don't believe that, you know, we'll, we'll see, you know, this is, this is the first kind of real trial that you've had in the Dennis Allen head coaching era. You know, the first real adversity in terms of, okay, better get it fixed or you could lose this season. Um, because losing this season is not just losing this season because you've already traded your first round pick for next year. The Eagles would like nothing more than for this team to fall off a cliff because the Eagles look real good. And they want a top 10 pick next year. So <laughs> that's going to be tough to live down if you if you end up giving away that pick. Because, man, you know, that's that's a lot of leverage that you just lost. You know, and, and then maybe maybe they're banking on Sean Payton coming back. It, keeps, it sounds more and more like that's a realistic possibility. But if he does, he's going to go to a decent team that's probably not going to have a high draft pick. So you don't know. All right. One more question, and then we'll go. Murtis is hanging around. The Eagles and Steve. Steve's over in London getting drunk with with Deuce McAllister and Mike Haas. I wasn't invited, so I'm not bitter about it at all. Don't worry. 504 and company. Kendall, he's responding to Kendall. He's like, I feel you that that injury has nothing to do with passing up an easy throw to take a low percentage deep throw. Yeah, right. I think that's that's the line you have to kind of figure out is – you know, I think if if the debate is whether he is healthy and some of the throws are not as accurate or as effective as they would normally be, yeah, I think you're correct. If the if the idea is he's hurt so he's making bad decisions, I don't think that's what's going on. I think you're just making Jameis decisions and the problem is in his head he is able to make, you know, like I said, the throw is open. Your first read is open. You're going to throw it. But is the injury you're dealing with making it so that if it was a 70% you know, success rate before, is it down to 50? Is it down to 40? Which means that you need to adjust your decision-making to account for that. 
And Jameis is just a guy who's not going to do that unless it's, you know, unless it's made for him, right? Unless the coach is saying, no, we're going to adjust your reads and we're going to do that because he has confidence in himself. He's never going to doubt his abilities to throw the football. And you don't want your quarterback to doubt his ability to throw the football. So it's, you know, it's kind of a catch 22. Um, but I think that that's what you're looking at is, you know, can he make the throws at the rate that he has been in his career? And does he need to adjust some of his decision-making to account for it? Um, does he need to be more more cautious? Does he need to take smaller gains? I've been saying all year that I think you, he needs to accept smaller gains in the offense, right? It feels like too much of the time, it's like, yeah, that's a throw I can make, so I'm going to make it. But it's like, yeah, okay, but what about, you know, if you make that six times out of 10, that means four times out of 10, you're leaving yourself in second and long and third and long. And in certain instances that, that is fine and you can accept it. And in a lot of instances, it's like, you know, you're, you're just torpedoing a drive for a shot play opportunity, you know, and, and like big plays don't matter if there's no points on the board, right? That bomb to Chris Olave at the end of the first half. Great. At the end of the day, it's just yardage and you don't, you, the yardage doesn't show up on the scoreboard. Only the points do. So yeah. I think that's where you kind of got to figure it out. But all right, that's where I'll wrap it up. You know, I, I'm bummed out. We weren't able to catch up with Steve. Hopefully I can get him, uh, get in touch with him. The time difference makes it really difficult. You know, obviously they're six hours ahead. So if he was on here, it would be midnight his time. So that makes it kind of difficult to get to get that kind of sorted out. But we're going to do our best to get him on for the final podcast of the week that's going to post Friday morning. And I'm going to see if I can, if I can snake a... Uh, Vikings guest to kind of break down what, what they're going to be looking at. You know, is it just the Justin Jefferson show? Is Mr. League average Kirk Cousins going to going to do something that surprises me? I don't think so. I know exactly who he is, but we're going to find out. Thanks for everyone for listening. This has been Inside Black and Gold, our film study edition. Make sure to hit that subscribe button wherever you are, wherever you're listening. If you're watching on YouTube, thank you. Make sure to ring the bell and subscribe. If you're watching on youtube and you'd like to be listening to a podcast make sure to go check that out even if you don't go check it out on app podcast leave us a review leave us a rating we don't have enough at this point i'm unhappy about it we have all these people in here watching but we only have like 11 reviews on apple Podcasts, which i call bs on because that's not cool anyway make sure to go do that appreciate all the interaction appreciate everyone watching and uh yeah it's gonna get better guys it's gonna get better i I, you know, I'm not going to give you the I guarantee it, but I, I really do hope so. All right, y'all. 